0: From WBUR Boston and Slate. Hello and welcome to The Checkup, our solidly reported but somewhat opinionated take on news for you and your family. Hey, Carrie. Hey, Rachel. I'm Carrie Goldberg, co host of WBUR's
1: Common Health blog. And I'm Rachel Zimmerman, also co host of Common Health. This week's episode is called Shots, a Vaccine Update. And in it, we hope to have a calm, fact-based discussion about the flu vaccine, the HPV vaccine, and related infectious disease topics that tend to push people's buttons. Yes,
0: Rachel, even if we make no mention of Jenny McCarthy... The the increase is ridiculous, you guys. Look at it. It's plain and simple. It's bullshit. No, it's... Yes, it is. Excuse me. Too many shots, too Vaccines do tend to rile some people up, especially parents. Oh, yes. Well, Carrie, it's getting a little nippy
1: outside, and... I gather some states have already reported their first cases of the flu. It's
0: particularly cropped up in the L.A. area already. Mm -hmm. But let's begin with some overarching flu numbers. You know, it's easy to say, oh, it's just the flu. It's a few days of misery. No big deal. And it's true that flu is incredibly common. Like tens of millions of Americans get it every year. And it's usually fairly mild. But flu is also a killer. On average, a couple of hundred thousand people are hospitalized every year and about 24,000 and die, including usually a few dozen children. That's why the
1: health authorities have been telling us over the last several years to get vaccinated pretty much every year.
0: And this year's vaccine instructions are actually a bit different than before.
1: My understanding is that consumers will have a few more choices on what type of flu vaccine we can choose.
0: Right, you can almost go flu vaccine shopping at this point. That sounds like fun. And that can get a little confusing, but that's no reason not to get one. In fact, it's more reason to get one. So For the lowdown on flu vaccines, I got in touch with the CDC and they connected me with Dr. Michael Young, who's a medical officer in their National Center for Immunizations and Respiratory Diseases. Hi, Gary. Hello, hello. So it's okay to call you a flu expert flu vaccine expert. Okay, So first of all, I'm seeing these ads for flu vaccines in pharmacies already. You know, it seems ridiculously early. Flu season doesn't even peak till like January. And also, doesn't the vaccine wear off after a while? So I'm thinking maybe I'll get it, but not now.
2: I think a lot of people put it off. But the fact of the matter is the best time to get an influenza vaccine is before the season starts, not during the season. And influenza seasons are very unpredictable from year to year. Hmm. Early as last year, we saw a season that started a month earlier than it typically starts. So we don't know when the season's going to start. That's why we're encouraging folks to go out and get vaccinated as soon as they can.
0: And what about the wearing off
2: thing? The influenza vaccine should last throughout one entire influenza season, even if someone gets vaccinated in early October.
0: What if I were to say, well, I already got one last year, so do I really need to get another one?
2: There's some overlap from year to year in the virus strains that are in the vaccine, but it's really important to recognize that you could very well be exposed to a different influenza this year. and be protected by this year's vaccine, if the vaccine contains that virus in it to provide that protection. It's also why we recommend, if you're one of those people who puts off vaccination and you happen to get the flu early in the season, you can still get the flu just a different virus later in the season. Mm. So we'd still recommend folks get vaccinated, even if they think they've had the flu this year.
0: Okay. Now, this year is too confusing. (laughs) There is the nasal vaccine, there's this new quadrivalent vaccine, there's some kind of super vaccine for old people. So there's too many choices. And what if my clinic doesn't have the exact vaccine that I should get?
2: Let me just make it very simple. Good. Get vaccinated and get vaccinated early. We <laughs> okay. don't have a recommendation um, as far as what vaccine you should get. As long as you get vaccinated, you're going to be protected. And I'd say that the the number of options out there really is a nice opportunity for folks to get vaccinated um, if they otherwise might not get vaccinated. There's an option for folks who don't like needles. There's They could get a nasal spray. Mm-hmm. There's now an option for folks who really have had bad allergic reactions to egg proteins. There's a completely egg-free option that those folks could elect. And as you said, there's an option for older people, um, the high-dose option, that that may be a a great fit for them because they need a little bit more protection due to their natural protective immunity waning a little bit as they age.
0: So here I am, a good comparison shopper. Doesn't it make sense for me to try to get a quadrivalent vaccine with four strains in it instead of just three?
2: The quadrivalent Four strain vaccine is intended to provide a broader protection. It protects against an additional influenza B. Mm-hmm. But the trivalent offers great protection as well. It includes protection against one influenza B and two influenza A's. And if that's all that your provider has when you're going in to get vaccinated, we would recommend that you take that vaccine when you're there.
0: Okay. So there have been studies that came out recently that, in fact, even on the CDC's own weekly morbidity and mortality report, the, the last year's vaccine was only 56% effective against the virus for people who were over six months old and virtually ineffective for people over 65. So like, really, I should go ahead and get it anyway?
2: Those are um, interesting numbers. I think two things. First mm-hmm. of all, the vaccine is still the best way to prevent you from getting influenza. And I think we need to take a close look at the vaccine effectiveness numbers to make sure that folks understand what they mean. Mm -hmm. If the effectiveness number is, let's just say 50%, for example, it doesn't mean that if you take the vaccine, you have a 50-50 chance of getting the flu that year. Mm -hmm. What it does mean though, is if you take two people you give one person the vaccine and the other person says i don't need the vaccine i don't want to get it the person who's vaccinated has a 50% less chance of getting the flu and having to go to the doctor for their influenza and that's a pretty big reduction in risk
0: okay cool i'm going to throw two last ones at you and these are just things that i hear people say one is oh i don't need the vaccine i never get the flu
2: well we hear a lot of people say that they never get the flu so they don't need the vaccine and and i don't want to force anybody to get a vaccine if they, um, if they don't want to elect that. But we, we also re- need to recognize the protection that getting a vaccine will provide others, particularly those who are at high risk of mm-hmm. bad outcomes from flu. This group includes folks with underlying medical conditions like asthma or heart disease people over 65 and people under five years of age. If you think you're not going to get the flu or you're okay getting the flu, you'll just deal with it because you're a young, healthy person but you live with somebody who's a young child or maybe has an underlying medical condition, you can help protect them from influenza by getting vaccinated so you're less likely to get the flu and therefore you can't pass it on to people who are at increased risk of being hospitalized or dying from flu. Is it
0: possible to transmit flu without having symptoms yourself?
2: it's very unlikely we know that um, you can transmit influenza before you start to show symptoms though so if you get the first first day or so of being infected, you may not have a fever or cough or sore throat, but you can, you're can you still infectious and you can still exactly. pass that on to someone else before you know you have the flu. Mm-hmm.
0: And last one that I hear from people is, oh, I'm not getting the flu vaccine. I got it one time and then I got the flu and I think the vaccine gave it to me.
2: There's a, a couple ways to answer that question. I'll start by saying it's still possible to get influenza after you've been vaccinated. And there's several reasons for that. What happens is, We know that it takes about two weeks after the vaccine to become fully protected. And if somebody waits a little bit until the season has started, gets their vaccine, but then gets exposed to somebody who has the flu before two weeks passes, they could get infected because they didn't give themselves enough time. Mm We also know there's lots of respiratory viruses that circulate in the fall and winter. And folks who get the vaccine and come down with a fever and cough may think that they have the flu when they really just have a cold. Mm-hmm. The flu vaccine cannot give you the flu.
0: Because it's just dead? It doesn't happen. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh.
2: it's, uh, the vaccine includes either a, a killed version of the virus or a component that's been altered in a way such that it's not infectious. There, There's one vaccine formulation that's brand new this year that's a purified protein vaccine, and it contains a small part of the influenza virus, just a, a protein essentially, and that helps provide immunity from influenza. So it's non-infectious, it cannot give you Uh, influenza, and in fact, none of the vaccines can give you influenza. Okay,
0: because I believe I've seen on the nasal vaccine, it does say that it has live vaccine or something like that,
2: right? Yes, and the acronym is L-A-I-V for live attenuated influenza vaccine, and the attenuated means it's been changed in a way so it's not infectious. However, we we recommend that folks who have poor immune systems, folks who maybe are immunocompromised, we recommend that they still get vaccinated but not take any chances at all and get a different formulation of the vaccine, one that's killed instead of attenuated.
1: So, Carrie, I think that basically eliminates any argument I can think of for not getting the flu vaccine, other than who likes shots in general. You can get the nasal
0: (laughs) if you don't like the shot.
1: Okay, but this isn't just about the hard data. For
0: you, flu is pretty personal, right? Yeah, Rachel. In in 2008, my oldest friend's 15-year-old son, who was a healthy, brilliant, wonderful kid, was hit by a fluky combination of flu and a resistant bacteria called MRSA. Uh-huh. And overnight, he went from a mild flu to being literally at death's door. And he died at age 15. This Musically talented, math whiz who had like such a sunny personality. He he just made everyone around him smile. Oh my God, a nightmare. Now, it was unspeakable. And his parents are fantastic parents, but he had not been vaccinated against flu because that was not the recommendation back then. It was only the next year that the CDC started saying virtually all kids should get the vaccination.
1: Oh my God, what a horrific story! But. Here's the thing about vaccines. As you can attest, it's very intimate and personal. It's about your kids' health. So even the people who are against vaccines, just to give them the benefit of the doubt, their passion and deep emotions come simply from wanting to protect their kids.
0: And it's obviously something you and I both can relate to as moms, as parents. I mean, you'd fight to the death for your child.
1: Of course. So speaking of our kids, we, in fact, both have daughters around the same age. Mine's 10 and a half. And yours? Right. Mine's
0: 11. And she's kind of in that last sweet, tweeny, pre-adolescent time.
1: Just the time that doctors recommend girls get the HPV vaccine.
0: Although my doctor has not mentioned it to me yet.
1: Really? See, that, I think, is part of the problem. So here's a little background. HPVs are human papillomaviruses, and they are the most common sexually transmitted disease in the U.S., with about 79 million Americans infected and about 14 million new infections every year. Wow, that's like almost everybody
0: who ever has sex.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah. And so these viruses are transmitted through skin-to-skin contact during vaginal, anal, and oral sex. But here's the thing. There are a bunch of these types of viruses, and many can clear from the body on their own. Others cause genital warts, which are bad enough. But the high-risk types cause cancer, notably cervical cancer, and also anal, vaginal, penile and oropharyngeal cancer. And actually, public health officials say that HPV has now replaced smoking and drinking as the primary cause of throat and
0: mouth cancer. Wow, yikes. So the HPV vaccine has been shown to be effective against them and could prevent all these cancers, right? Right, Carrie. The vaccine's given in three
1: separate shots, and it's for girls and boys starting around age 11 or 12, before, hopefully, they've had sex. We yeah, hope not. It's been on the market for about seven years, and over that time, public health officials say there have been no major serious safety concerns. And yes, Carrie, it's been remarkably effective. But I haven't had my kid vaccinated
0: yet, and I'm usually pretty vigilant about vaccines.
1: Well, Carrie, you're definitely not alone. Over the summer the CDC came out with a report that said only about half of girls got one or more doses of the HPV vaccine, and a little more than a third got the complete three-dose series. Now, to better understand why parents aren't getting vaccines for their kids, I called Dr. Carolyn Roy Bornstein. She's a pediatrician in Haverhill, Massachusetts.
3: There's been a lot of new vaccines coming down the pike, and. It's overwhelming and confusing for doctors to keep track of all these. And and some of the diseases that we protect children against on the face of it seem benign, chicken pox, for example. Um, And there's a wariness. I think it was easier for me as a pediatrician to um, deflect concerns when they were specific. When it was, Dr. Bornstein, I heard there's a link between MMR and autism. I'm really scared about that. That's a specific concern that I can attack with specific research, lots of good studies. But, you know, a vague concern, I'm just worried. There's just a lot of vaccines. I don't know what's in them. You know, that's a little harder to defend. And so I find myself going back to the disease that we're actually trying to present. And in my opinion, this is a really exciting vaccine. It's a potential anti-cancer vaccine, which is, to me, pretty exciting.
1: Right, the HPV vaccine seems to be fairly safe very effective. Why are parents telling you that they're not getting their kids vaccinated?
3: Well, I think some of it is just logistics. You're asking a child at age 11 or 12 to come in for three separate visits at an age where they typically only come in once a year.
1: Right. But you're
3: right. It's more than that. It's more than just logistics. And I think part of it has to do with a lack of urgency. You know, HPV is a Preventing a sexually transmitted virus, which is the cause of 70% of cervical cancer, and I think many parents just don't see cervical cancer as an immediate risk, like measles, bringing your child in for a measles shot because there was measles in Framingham or measles at Mass General.
1: Right, or even a flu shot, right? You're going to get it this year.
3: Yeah, there's no real immediate benefit that parents can see. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's a far way off. I don't need to do that right now. She's yeah. not sexually active.
1: Uh-huh. But the sexual aspect of this vaccine makes it unusual and perhaps makes parents a little wary, right?
3: To be honest, I seem to come across that more in the media than I did in the exam room. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this notion that, or this question, you know, if we're offering girls a vaccine, and I, I should say it's being offered to boys and girls now, right. but if we're offering girls a vaccine that protects them against a sexually transmitted virus, will they, in their minds, extrapolate and think, I'm protected against every sexually transmitted virus, and so I can go have sex with impunity. And there has actually been research to um, refute that and to say that that doesn't happen. The age at sexual debut is no different in vaccinated versus unvaccinated children.
1: Right. My daughter's turning 11 in a few months, and it just, it is hard to wrap your mind around protecting them against a sexually transmitted disease. I mean, even if you have no issues with the vaccine per se, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a parental leap don't you think?
3: I do think. And I I certainly don't push people. I start the conversations at age 11. And our goal is to get them fully vaccinated. And it's three vaccines at you know, day one, then two months, then six months apart. And, you know, as long as we can get those three vaccines in before they're sexually active, that's the goal. And, you know, if, if we have time to wait, that's fine. I really don't. Push people, But I do get the conversation started, and I might send them home with the sheet of information that the Department of Public Health provides about Mm -hmm. the vaccine so they can talk about it as a family.
1: If the child is older and has had sex, is the vaccine still effective?
3: Sure, because the child could be colonized with one of the types. But remember, one of the vaccines protects against two types, and one vaccine protects against four types. So you still may protect the child against the other types of HPV.
0: Well, this sounds a little like what our friend, the science journalist Karen Weintraub, struggled with a few years back when she was deciding whether to get her teenage daughter vaccinated. HPV can lead to genital warts. She said, ew, when I mentioned that. And some cancers, cervical cancer,
1: vaginal cancer, penile cancer. They're not that common, but still, obviously, if you can do something to prevent them, you want to. The other thing that entered into my thinking is that there really is no other way to prevent these sexually transmitted diseases. Condoms don't seem to work. So I I felt like the vaccine was good insurance for that. And doctors say that boys should absolutely get the vaccine, too. Here's Dr. Natalie Pierre-Joseph. She's an assistant professor of pediatric and adolescent medicine at Boston University School of Medicine.
3: I strongly support vaccinating boys because boys are also the vector of the virus. They carry the virus, and by them having intercourse with the young girl or young woman, they transfer the virus.
0: Okay, Rachel, that brings us to men, and in particular to the actor Michael Douglas. He, yeah, he made some headlines recently when he, well, well. here is Whoopi Goldberg, no relation to me, Carrie Goldberg, on the TV show The View. You know, Michael Douglas is now saying that his throat cancer was caused by oral sex. <laughs> <laughs> saying, and I, right?
2: wait, let me give you his quote. He said, without wanting to get too specific, this particular cancer is caused by HPV, which is something that actually comes about from linguists.
1: But he'd also been a smoker and a drinker, and he could have had other cancer risks. So he may not have been totally right about that, right? He
0: wasn't making it up. He's part of a really noticeable trend of head and neck cancers in general rising dramatically among middle-aged American men, including non-smokers, because HPV is sexually transmitted, and these tumors test positive for HPV. Uh, Well, I think the main point here is that We are seeing these
1: diseases, some of which are preventable. And as with your friend's son, these illnesses can
0: be fatal. They can. And another illness that many people don't think of as a big deal is whooping cough or pertussis. Right. A few years back, 10 babies died of pertussis in
1: California where the CDC reported the greatest number of cases in 63 years. And there have been pertussis outbreaks in Vermont and Washington state. And and this year, measles has also been in the news, right? Right. Measles was declared eliminated in the US more than a decade ago. But this very highly infectious disease has cropped up in communities with low vaccination rates, most recently in North Texas. Oh, yeah. yeah. They had that mega church situation, right? right? That was the Eagle Mountain International Church near Dallas. 21 people, the majority of whom had not been immunized, got measles. One former church member told the AP, quote, to get a vaccination would have been viewed by me and my
0: friends and my peers as an act of fear. So I have to say that my attitude is if you don't get your child vaccinated against things like measles. That becomes an act of fear for me, because your child is likely to catch a disease and spread it to my child. It could get through the chinks of the protection that my child gets from the vaccines that we get.
1: And that is the very concept of herd immunity. The more people in a community don't get vaccinated, the more everyone's at risk. Because again, vaccines don't offer perfect protection. And the disease can get a foothold.
0: Well, Rachel, since I share this teeny tiny recording studio with you and our producer, George, I just want to pledge to both of you that I will get the flu vaccine really soon. Okay, and I wash my hands every (laughs) time we come in here, Carrie. Oh, good.
1: So that's it for this week's Checkup. Next week, we'll delve into the delicate topic of how very hard it is to talk back to your doctor. Yeah, like, why do I clam up when
0: I see a white coat? Right.
1: (laughs) The Checkup is produced at WBUR, Boston's NPR news station. Our producer is George Hicks. The executive editor of WBUR.org is John Davidow. And the executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rachel Zimmerman. And I'm Carrie Goldberg. See you next week, Rachel. See you, Carrie.